certainly thankful for all the songs that have been sung to this point, um, but I think it's time for us to hear the word of the Lord tonight. Um, Brother Kent Welch is the pastor of Covenant Missionary Baptist Church, uh, located in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, He's been pastoring there now for a number of years. Uh, His origins are from Missouri, Missouri. But the Lord has opened a unique door for Brother Kent in Pakistan. Um, I'm thankful that the Lord is in it. Um, I'm eager to hear what the Lord has to say tonight. Um, In Pakistan, like in many parts of the non-Western world, it is a world altogether different than what we can possibly conceive of. Um, there's a great deal that I believe that Brother Kent can possibly help them with through the word of the Lord. And there is likely perhaps even a greater deal that they can help us with. Um, It's been a long time since this land has found persecution. That preachers have preached with their literal lives in danger. I don't feel as though that we can condescendingly go there and necessarily teach them about sacrifice and service, they have perhaps much to teach us. I'm thankful that God has opened the door for him and Brother Jeff to go. Uh, Long after this day has passed, let's pray for those men. Um, There is a wisdom that we need at times to plan and prepare, and there is a wisdom sometimes that we need immediately that no amount of preparation no amount of planning can prepare you for that moment and in a work like that they will likely through time be confronted with moments where they need God's abundant wisdom but the book of James gives us a wonderful promise doesn't it that if we ask he doesn't just give it to us He gives it liberally. Long after this day has passed, let's remember Brother Kent and whomever, Brother Jeff, whomever may go there. Uh, But let's pray for him tonight as he comes to bring the word of the Lord. Brother Kent. Good evening. I am grateful for the opportunity to be here tonight. And um, when Brother Brad mentioned that the minister school appoints or ask a peer uh, to come and preach this sermon. Um, That, of course, is a blessing to be able to be a peer. I don't feel worthy of that um, in the least. And Brother Brad also, I told him I wasn't going to say this, but I think I will. He, He mentioned to us at the close of the afternoon lesson that we shouldn't consider this the World Series of Preaching. And I said, well, given the batter that you guys are putting in the batter's box, that should be abundantly clear. (laughs) I do want to honor God tonight. Um, Two months ago, almost to the day, Brother Jeff and I were at a gypsy camp and uh, saw things that don't have time to try to describe tonight. 
but the Lord was with us and, and we were able to share the gospel with people who seemingly have no hope in the world. And in many ways, they have no hope in this world. And I tried to share the gospel with them. It was my turn to, to try to do that. And Jeff and I just took turns. Um, and as I was done and I was finished speaking, there was an older man, and I'll never forget this man. I pray, I believe, I'll see him one day. I shared about Christ, tried to, to the best of my ability, about peace, about hope beyond this world. And he came up to me after the, the remarks that I, that I made and, and the, the message I tried to give, and he's in his ratty shawl. Surrounded in a, with trash everywhere in a landfill, old gray beard, and you don't see very many old people over there. And he came up to me and he looked me in the eye and he, he took his, his fist and he hit his heart. And then he touched my heart and he pointed it up. And I told him, I can't wait until we can speak the same language. Because I think we just communicated there. The communication that is common to all who know the Lord. And the Lord placed it on my heart just briefly here. I want to tell those children, if they're still in the room, you that are children of a preacher and a preacher's wife, I do want you to listen to me. Your mom and your dad's faith is not going to be enough. You're going to stand before the Lord one day, and it's going to be just you and Him. He's not going to say, come because your parents were good, because I've got news for you, they weren't. Trying to do the best they can, no doubt. It occurred to me, I've been trying, I've been fighting to share this. I do not like talking about myself. I encourage people not to, especially from a pulpit. And I will probably do that tonight. But I do feel like I need to share something with you. The school was started here in 1973. I was born in 1973. Fifty years ago tonight, if I've done my math right... I was 10, 11 weeks old in a hospital bed in Michigan, having fallen off a dresser and my skull had broken and they had wired it back together. There's a metal plate here in my head. And my wife tells me it's because I'm going bald, but I actually set a metal detector off in an airport a, a few months ago. And I kept setting it off, and I kept going through and back and through, and I, and I didn't know what it was, and I happened to look at the monitor, and the circle was literally right over this metal plate. Luckily, they believed me. But I, I share that to share with you tonight that the hand of God and His providential care over all of us is incredible. Um. My wife likes to kid me. I was adopted, so I didn't learn about all this. I always had haircuts as a kid, and they'd say, where'd that scar come from? And I, I didn't have any idea. 
And every time they'd ask me, I'd say, I don't know. And I'm sure they thought I was being rude. How, how do you not know where this scar comes from? But there was a letter my biological mom had written um, telling us what had happened, that I'd fallen off a dresser at six weeks old. And, and it was supposed to be on epilepsy medicine all my life. Um, I don't ever remember taking it. Uh, I don't know if it was not left with us when we were adopted, whatever the case might be. But the thing that Sarah, my wife, likes to kid me about is in that letter, it said that brain damage is uncertain. (laughs) My biological family was Catholic. The family that adopted me was Southern Baptist. When I was 11 years old, I met the Lord. I know him. And he knows me. And the Lord said that's the rock that he'd build his church on. I share all of that to say this. I thank you for your love and kindness that you have shown the people in Pakistan. Um, We will do our best to shepherd that work as the Lord will dictate. I do ask an interest in your prayers. It's far beyond uh, our ability to see to, but it's not beyond God's. And so we will, we will rely on Him. And I, I share that story about my childhood, and there were foster years, and those years you're supposed to wire trust. Didn't really get wired well in my mind and in my heart. But I am grateful to be among you. I thank you. Each one. For the love you've shown me. And the acceptance. But I thank the Lord most of all. For what he has done for me. And I I want to share with you. I want to take the rest of my time tonight. And I want to tell you about the Lord. If you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, we'll read all 14 verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. 
Now shall mine head be lifted up, and mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me, and answer me. When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not. Neither forsake me, O God, of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. Because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over under the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. When you come across this Hebrew word that's capitalized here, Lord with capital L and small capital O-R-D, it's important that you mark that word, that name. The Lord is my light. It's the most common name of God given to us in the scripture. It appears 6,828 times, Lord. This name of God is often called by scholars the Tetragrammaton. It is a combination of four Hebrew letters. Y-H-W-H, yod He wah It was written without vowels. And to the Jews, God's name, this is His name, who is God This is the most direct way to answer the question. It was written this way because it was a name to not be pronounced on the lips of man. Because of the holiness of this God that we are talking about. Do you know God? Not do you know about Him. Not have you been near those who know Him. Do you know YH? W-H. This word was written without vowels, as we said, so that it would not be pronounced. Those who read the scriptures aloud, eventually they replaced the word Adonai in its place because they could pronounce Adonai, which means my Lord. But it wasn't his proper name. It was Adonai. And they would eventually then they would take they took the vowels from Adonai. And placed it inside of this four tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. And it's where we come up, where we have, and I believe the Septuagint, but don't, correct, don't quote me on that, says, Jehovah, the Lord. That's how we got that word, Jehovah. Now, you might be asking yourself, why the grammar lesson? We've come all this way 
to worship God. Why are we talking about Hebrew letters? We came here tonight to worship God. I hope that's true. I believe that it is true. I believe that most, if not all, have come here tonight to worship God. I pray that you are here. And if you do not know Jehovah, if you do not know this God, the one God, that before you leave here tonight, that you will, 1,000 years from now, you're going to be somewhere. 50 years ago and some nine months, Kent Cotham at the time didn't exist. I existed in the mind of God, but I wasn't. And then I was. And from that moment, God, who we have been singing about tonight, gave me life. He created me in my mother's womb. I also find it interesting that it was January 1973 that the Supreme Court legalized abortion. My parents, drug addicted as they were, who knows what choice they might have made had that been happened later. God has seen to it that all of us in this room tonight are alive. And, and you're going to be in existence somewhere for all of eternity. Never ending. They say, how long is eternity? And the answer is, you're already asking the wrong question. It isn't long. It's unending. It is the eternal state of being. There is, I believe, chronology, but there is no such thing as this watch on our hands. One day, one day, the first second of time ticked off, and God said, let there be. And one day, that's fixed out there, according to the book of Acts, it's fixed. God has fixed a day. He knows where it is. None of us know where on the timeline we are. We could be close. We need to be acting like we are, thinking like we are. Jesus could come back today. But there's a day that's fixed out there. And guess what? When that angel blows that trumpet, you can throw your watches away. You're never going to look at them again. And you are going to be forever. Do you know God? Is he going to bring you to himself? Or is he going to say to you, I never knew you. Do you know this God? Why the, why the Hebrew lesson here? And by the way, I'm no expert there. There are people here far beyond me. I pray, though, if you don't know him before you leave here, that you do. Because you know what I, I think? And I pray that if you do know him and you're not close to him and you're a bit distant, maybe you're acting a little like Peter when the Lord had been handed over to the, to the Jews following from a distance. That's a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. The lion is out there. Come to the Lord. But I, I think why this lesson, I think it's because we forget who it is we're talking about. We forget who we're talking about. I remember that old man again in that gypsy camp as he placed his hand on his heart and his fist on his heart and he placed his hand on mine and he pointed up and I thought, about a Jonah, salvations of the Lord. He knows where his people are. 
But I think sometimes for us, as we look at this and we, we read this really quickly, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my light. And it appears 6,828 times. And so we, we just go right past it. I want us to focus in on it. God. Y-H-W-H. Who is he? You see, names are powerful things. Almost mysterious things when you think about it. In one sense, they're nothing more than a collection of letters that form a word and a name. Yet they are at the same time infused with the very character and identity of the one to whom they are applied. Your name. When I think of Sarah Welch and Aidan Welch and Liam Welch, my wife and my children, I don't think of letters. I think of them. I think of how I love them. I see their faces in my mind's eye. I hear their voice in my, in my head. I smile at times we've shared that were joyful. And I've wept when we've been utterly broken as a family. But names mean something because it connects us. So knowing God's name is important and what it is. Do you remember, by the way, when our nation used to hold on to the idea that a good name was a valuable thing? When people would sacrifice just about everything before they sacrificed their name? We're a good distance down the road from that, I'm afraid. But as it turns out, as with most things that are honorable, it comes from Scripture. Proverbs 22.1 A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Ecclesiastes 7.1 A good name is better than precious ointment. Guard your name, especially if you claim to be a follower of God. But I didn't come here to talk about your name or mine. I came here to speak to you about the name of God and what His name should stir within us when we think of it. You see, it's very easy to get distracted by a lot of good things and miss the better and the best. It is so easy to get wrapped up in behavior and external things that we are expected to do. Tonight, I pray if I accomplish anything, it'll be because of the help of the Spirit of God, who I believe He's placed on my heart, a, a message for you to just stop and, and, and forget all of the distraction and think again who it is that we serve Amen. and what that should do for us and in us. I, 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 I pray that we always understand that it is God's name that we should be most interested in. If you're a young preacher here tonight, and we had a number of them, I would encourage you to keep your comments about yourself, and I just started it out tonight, I know, so I'm a little guilty, but don't speak about yourself. You've got a far greater name to talk about. You have a far greater story to tell than your own, and, and use your own, your own life and your own name to exalt His don't, don't worry too much about yourself. I want to disabuse you as well. If you're here and you're just starting out preaching, starting your efforts to proclaim the word of God, I want to disabuse you of the idea that people need you. They don't. They need God. 
They need to know his name. They need to know who he is. And I'll tell you this as well, without trying to be too silly about it. People don't need you, and frankly, they don't care. And nor should they. In your 20s and 30s, this is a joke I heard once. 20s and 30s, you're worried about what everybody's thinking about you. In your 40s and 50s, you, you don't care what anybody thinks about you. In your 60s and 70s, you finally realize nobody's been thinking about you. <laughs> it's not your name that you need to proclaim. I have something of a curmudgeon reputation earned. I don't like that reputation, but it's earned. (laughs) Some might be discouraged by this idea that we shouldn't talk about ourselves or us or our families or our this or our that. But don't be discouraged by that. Your job is, is not to make your name great in the minds and hearts of those to whom you speak. It is to make the name of God great. It, it is for them to walk away being amazed at Yahweh, at Jehovah, at God. It is to, your job is to proclaim the love of God. It is to proclaim the wrath of God. It is to proclaim the power of God. It is to proclaim the compassion of God. It is to proclaim the mercy of God. It is to proclaim the grace of God. It is to proclaim the name of His dear Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And we say with Malachi, from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, God says, My name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place in shall be offered unto who? You or me? No. Unto my name. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. So I'll move along from my fellow young preachers. I, I remember where you were 30 years ago, as hard as that is to believe. Don't waste a single sermon thinking about or worrying about or caring about what people think of your name outside of the fact that it reflects on God. Think of how you can promote and teach them the name of God. You see, through the unending ages of eternity, as it goes on and it goes on and it goes on, that is hastening for us all, There'll be one name that will echo through the halls of heaven. There will be one name that will be heard in the hills and the valleys and the mountains and over the rivers and across every lip and every tongue and everyone. And it's Jesus Christ. His name. Do you know him? And you shouldn't have any concerns, by the way. You might think that's a long time. I've had some people ask me when we were younger even. It asks, what are we going to do in heaven? Eternity is a long time. And I think some of our ideas of heaven, by the way, yeah, it'd get pretty boring. You know how long it's going to take the streets of gold and the mansions, even though I think that's mistranslation. How old that'd get? How soon that would get old? A couple of weeks, maybe? All of a sudden, the gold's normal. The mansions are normal. Everything's normal. No, that's not heaven. That's not my idea of heaven. God's name will be praised. The Lord Jesus Christ will be lifted up for all of eternity. It will only grow greater and greater and greater as you learn more about this God. 
about Him. Dig into this Word. Bow upon your knee in prayer. Strive to know more and more about Him. And let Him lead the rest of your life. Don't put something in front of Him or even your ministry, especially your ministry. Put God at the first and at the front always when your cup is full and you think you've discovered all there possibly can be about Jesus. God's just going to continue to pour. And He's going to continue to do that. Just when you think you have reached the summit of the mountain called the knowledge of God, you climb up that last summit and you brace over it and you look and there's one mountain after another after another higher and higher than the one you've just climbed. God will never grow dull to us. He is an eternal, infinite God. That's why it's going to take eternity to find Him out. Why do you think we've got eternity? Because we have an infinite God. I'm not done discovering Him when I leave this life. I will be able to discover and be in fellowship with Him without this sinful flesh. Any longer this mind and this heart of carnalist that remains with me. And as Paul says, Oh, the wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? Jesus will. And one day, in a holy and righteous body, made to match the soul that he has already saved, I'm going to climb mountain after mountain, discovering the joys of this God. And just eternity after eternity, being overwhelmed at who he is. I want you to circle down and come down with me to this very moment in your life. This is what it's about. Yahweh, God, His Son, Christ. We've heard it again and again. But it's for you. You want to know there's a hole and a gap in your life? You want to know why that is? Yahweh's not there. God's not there. Look, let me tell you this. A, a quick word to all of us. We, you have one of two choices to make in your life with regard to why you are here. You've one of two choices. Choice number one, Eternal matter. Eternal rocks. We've always been here. And somehow, through some incredible combination of accidents, we're here. That's your choice if you'd like to make it. Silly. Two, your second choice, God. (laughs) That's it. Look, stuff has either always been here or it was created. I know that logic is now somehow dismissed in our learned halls of higher learning, but it's as simple as it can be. Nothing comes from nothing. And yet yet somehow we're supposed to believe that it does now. And that's supposed to be enlightened and learned. And we stand here and we think, God, it's just like Romans said, you were going to give men over in their minds to corruptible minds. And you know what that means? That word, broken. They don't work. Look, this is real. This is scary business. We are at a crossroads in our time. We have been presiding over a nation for two generations and more that has lost its biblical worldview. It no longer sees God in anything and it denies him. But you've got two choices. You can believe that it's always been here or I suppose there is the third related choice. Poof, there it was from nothing. What was the big bang? All these gases came together and blew up and 
Wow, how lucky a Boeing 747 just got assembled. It's silly. Well, and then by the way, where'd the gases come from? Just keep asking that question. Where, where, where did that come from? And where did you come from? I can tell you his name. YHWH. He gave you life. So forget the rest of it. Forget all of the tr- that trouble. And I need to move along and I will. What does his name mean? What does this YHWH mean? What does Jehovah mean? Self-existent. Let me say that again. Self-existent. You know what? You and I can say we are only because he is. He can say he is. Why? Because he is. And he always has been. And people say, well, that's silly. That's not scientific. Of course it is. He created science. Where do you think these rules came from? Even the hero, right? Einstein matters neither created or destroyed. Well, then where's it all going? And where did it all come from? And then science tells us that things tend to break down. Well, of course they do. It's a fallen world. The book here has the answers. You will not find anything in this book that will challenge your faith to the point where you think, oh my goodness, this Bible doesn't answer this question. Yes, it does. And we need to teach our children about who God is. This name. Forget all the rest of it. Who cares if they're successful in this life? There's an eternity coming their way. There's a God that's coming and he's going to say to them, this is all that matters. Do you know me? And as we went to Pakistan, those people, and you share the gospel in different places, the most important thing is, do you know me? Do you know me? Do you know me? He's not going to say, depart from me because you weren't exact in your theology. He's not going to say, depart from me because you weren't from this nation. He's not going to say, depart from me because your skin color is not the right color. He's going to say, depart from me because you didn't know me. And I want to tell you who he is. Self-existent. There are so many things that attend our lives and discourage, and they do. So many activities that we engage in as followers of Christ. But again, I just want to remind you tonight who God is. Before there was anything, there was God. He is dependent on no one. He is dependent on nothing. He just is. Now listen, you're going to ultimately be faced with that choice. Eternal matter, eternal God. What's your choice? What is it? When you're all alone and your head hits your pillow and there's no one else. As we were singing here tonight, I thinking of Christ and Him going to the cross. I thought, Lord, You did that alone. You weren't surrounded by this host of people singing praises to You. You knew it was coming, but You were alone. So let me ask you tonight, when you're all alone, when, when all of this is not here, And it's just you. It's just you. Do you know his name? Do you know his name? Imagine, I imagine anyway, where most of us land on this choice here tonight is that God, of course, created us all. I happen to believe that in the quiet hearts of most men and women, that is the opinion opinion they share as well. 
I do believe that. I know people disagree. <laughs> oh, no, I'm agnostic. I'm atheist. Really? Let's dig a little. Let's keep digging. Psalm 27, 4, what is this name? What should it mean for us? And I want to just leave you with this. One thing, what should we, now that we know his name, what should that do for us? How should that shape us and mold us? How should it impact our thoughts? How should it demonstrate to us how to preach? How, how should it affect the way we raise our children? Love our spouses? What is it that this name should incite within us? Well, what did David say? One thing. One thing have I desired of the Lord. Just one thing. I don't need anything else. Just you. I don't... I don't need your blessings beyond what you've already blessed me with. I thank you for them. You shower them upon me. I I don't need an easy road. I don't need a life free of burden. I don't need the things that the prosperity preacher will tell you today. A lie. And do just what Brother Spurgeon said in quoting the scripture. He'll make merchandise of your soul. I don't need, I don't need anything else. Think about that. I don't need anything else. David, David could have listed so many things and we do as well. One thing, that's, that's going to be a litmus test of your spiritual condition. How long is the list of the things that you think you need? If it's a long list, I would encourage you to take your pencil or your red pen and start marking things off. You need one thing. Jehovah. God. I'm not just being simple-minded or trite. That is true. One thing I've desired, not only do I desire it, I am going to seek it. That will I seek after. You're going to have to seek God. Yet, isn't it incredible? All of the pattern of the Old Testament and the New. Who is it that approaches whom? When Adam and Eve fell from the law of God, did they go, oh my goodness, look at what we've done. We better go to God. No. You find them hiding in a bush. Somehow hiding behind a bush that God created. They didn't think he was going to know they were there. And you're hiding somewhere you think God doesn't know where you are. Well, guess what? He knows. He knows right where you are. He knows right where you've been. He knows right where you're going. And he knows eternity is ushering in for all of us very soon. And you say, how do you know it's soon? Maybe it's a thousand years. Yeah, a thousand years is going to be an awful short time when you put it next to eternity. It's going to look like an instant. Do you know him and once he, as he did when I was, it's exactly what happened to me. I was sitting there at a church service in a youth, a youth camp. I went to this, 
to this Baptist Hill was it where it was in Missouri. I went there every year, and, and my grandparents even courted there. This was just some place we went over and over every year. I loved it. We got to see friends we didn't normally see. I was sitting in that church service. That preacher started preaching on, you know, a church, what verse? John three sixteen. right? Oh, this is simple. This is easy ground. We've heard this most common scripture that any child is taught in church at all. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. And that word so. It, it does mean deep. You can talk about that. But in his, the depth of his love is beyond description. But it is in this manner. This is how God has loved the world. He sent his son. This is how. You, you want to experience and know the love of God? Well, you have to know how he loved it. And he loved it by sending his son. And not sparing him. But he endured the cross. I once, when I was 11 and he he convicted me of that sin, he drew me to himself and and the law revived as it says in scripture. And I knew I was a sinner. As a little boy, I'd gone to the front of the church. I'd done all the things. I'd been baptized. And yet I didn't know his name. Until he came and broke my heart. And I looked to my friend on my right hand and I said, I'm not saved. I thought I was, I'd done something wrong. The first time. I'm not saved. The first time you're asked, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, yes. Yes, I, I do. Everybody I know and trust has told me that's true. I believe that. But you know what Jesus did in John? There were people that said they believed him, but he didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in their heart. They believed to a degree, but he was not their God. And God convicted me, and I came, and I, rep- I asked for Him to save me. I cried out to Him. I was crying in that day. The Lord protected me that day. He allowed me to come to Him. He said, you're lost. And I prayed, and I asked Him to save me. I knew I was lost, and then, burden gone. Peace. And I... I was beside myself. I, I was, we, we were sent back to our, our dorms after this service. for a, 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 It was regular. You, you took a little bit of a rest in your dorm. And I was laying on that top bunk. And I was like, what just happened? This is amazing. So peaceful. And I want to know more about this God. And all that I'd been taught. It was not enough yet. And I wanted to know more. He sought me. And then I sought him. And when you get saved, you're not done seeking him. Keep seeking him. Every day. I don't care how long you've been in this road. I don't care how many sermons you may have preached. It's it's never, never done to seek God. To dwell with God. That's what this name should mean for us. I just, one thing I've desired, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. I just want to be with him. Psalm 27, verse 6. I will, or verse 8. Lord, I've loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. That that I will seek after and just to be with him. And he says, all the days of my life. All of them. All of them. Not, Not just Sunday. All of them. Not just the day you got saved. 
All of them. Your eternity began the moment that God saved you. And it will never end. In a way, my body has aged. What, 11, do math in front of people's hard 39 years. My soul's not, not one second. (laughs) Not a second. One day this body's going to go back. It's going to pay the penalty of sin. Christ paid the penalty for my sin. Otherwise, and I will stand righteous in him. I desire to be with him all the days of my life. I pray that's your desire, is to be with him all the days of your life. And when you understand who he is, what he has done, that'll be your desire too. To see his beauty and to inquire in his temple. To see his beauty is is to behold it. to, To turn your gaze toward God. Maybe your gaze is on something else in your life right now and, and some shiny, fancy object of Satan is dangled over here and, and you've lost your attention on God and, and, and it's fascinating to you and, and it's this cup like we see in Revelation, beautiful on the outside, but then you, 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 you peer over the top of it and it's abomination and it's poison. But maybe something in your life has caused you to take your eyes off of God. I don't know. I can't tell. I can't look into your heart. God can and he knows. And maybe he's saying to you tonight, my name has not been enough for you. You have looked elsewhere. I want you to return your gaze back to me. To, to, to behold you and to, to then to inquire. And that word inquire in the Hebrew talks about an investigation almost. An intense investigation. Looking closely at what he wants us to see, a careful inspection. And I'll close with with this tonight, verse 5, what his name should mean for us. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. If you're like me, and you read this passage in some ways, you say, wait a minute, what does this talk about trouble? I, I thought I was seeking God, and I was in His temple. I was with Him. I was in His presence. What is David talking about when he goes right to this verse in the time of trouble? Because there's going to be times of trouble in your life. Amen. There are going to be things in your life that try every nook and cranny. Of your faith in God. You know the remedy? Find all the nooks and crannies of the tabernacle of God. Find all the hiding places there where the enemy can't go. And hide there with him. Say, God, this is too big for me. My heart is broken, but I am in your pavilion. I want to just be here. And I ask you, God, to come and dwell with me and I with you. I pray that you know God. I ask you to consider in your heart whether you do. And those of you that do, I would just encourage you tonight with the continual searching out of His will and who He is and His beauty and the marvel of His presence. Thank you for the opportunity you've given me tonight. Pray the Lord would bless you.